babes, so that we might be a part of your family, so that we might be part of the kingdom. I pray, Father, that you would clear our hearts and minds, free us from distraction, fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning as we look at your word together in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. That was good. I learned a little bit there. I didn't know that angels had reviews and things like that, but it makes sense, I mean, to keep them on track. Uh, Makes sense that they would do that. I've learned a lot of things in the last 10 months, as I'm sure you guys have. Uh, I learned something about myself, however, that I want to just refer to for a minute this morning, in particular about my walk with Christ. I want to share it with you. I love to be in church. I love to be in church. And you may say, well, you know, that's nice that you finally realize that after 27 years of being a pastor. That's kind of scary that you just figured out in the last 10 months that you like to be in church. But what I mean by that is this. Obviously, I know that I love the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord. I have for a long time. I know that I want to serve Him. But I don't know if I ever fully completely appreciated being together like I do now. Um, Back in June, when we had our first drive-in church Sunday at the fairground and everybody came, there were, what, Tim, 96 cars or something like that. And um, we were up by the stage getting ready and the cars were coming in. And it was a little bit overwhelming to see all the cars coming in. After we were done, I was walking around. Tim was speaking that day, and I was walking around talking to people in their cars, of course, from at least six feet away, uh, but talking with everybody. And then after we were done, everybody's driving out. And so Tim and I ran. I ran over to one side, and he ran over to the other side, and we were waving to people in their cars, and we probably looked like total morons. But we were doing it anyway because we were just so happy to see each other. Uh, to see everybody, and then when we had the first camp chair church, that was, that was even better. And then the first Sunday that we were here, the first or second Sunday of October, I was speaking that Sunday, and I remember sitting down here, and the band was, you know, leading us in worship. I think Catherine was leading that day, and we were singing the songs, and I couldn't even sing half the songs. I was just overwhelmed because I was sitting up here and I could hear you guys singing behind me. And just to be together in this place, and I'm sitting there thinking, I got to pull it together because I got to get up front there and speak. I've been in church my whole life. I was born on July 7th, 1970, which was a Tuesday. And that Sunday, I was in church. And I've missed, I don't know, not very many in the single digits probably in the last 50 years of my life. But there's something powerful about being together. There's something powerful about gathering. And when we look at the scripture, we're commanded to gather. We're commanded to sing together. We're commanded to pray together. We're commanded to worship together. The gathering of God's people has so much power to encourage us and to challenge us that we must never, ever forsake it. 
And this morning, we're going to take a few minutes to talk about the greatest gathering of God's people ever. Now, it hasn't taken place yet, even. It's in the future. And Jeremiah predicts it. He prophesies it and refers to it in his book, and that's what we're going to look at this morning as the whole story continues. Last week, we talked about the fact that the whole story is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. It unfolds in the person of Jesus. We're talking about the great faithfulness of God. Tim started us out back in May in the book of Genesis, thousands of years before this passage in Jeremiah that we're going to look at, and a couple of 3,000 more from today, way back when, way back then, God said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to accomplish my plan of displaying my grace and bringing glory to myself by redeeming people, by changing their lives, by by establishing a new kingdom, by creating a new family of people through Jesus. That's what this whole story is about. That's what the whole Bible is about. And last week we saw that this Messiah was predicted in Isaiah chapter 9. And this morning, I want to talk about this. This is a thought I want you to keep in your minds over the next few minutes, and that is that the promised Messiah is the Savior of all who believe. The promised Messiah is the Savior of all who believe. Now, we know that God loves the whole world, right? I mean, how many people know that God loves the whole world? Everybody, right? Hopefully, If you know one verse that you can quote by heart, I bet for most of you, it's John 3.16. For God so loved what? The world. God loves the entire world. It doesn't matter what language, what country, what creed, what culture. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now that may seem obvious to us. But I assure you, this was not obvious to the people of Israel. It was not obvious or logical to them. Because what have we seen over the last several months? We have seen that God made his covenant with who? With Israel. Now, we look at Israel today as a country. We look at Jews today as a nationality, a culture. And yet we know from God's word that Israel was a family. Abraham and Sarah, they were a family. God gave them a son, Isaac. God gave Isaac two sons, Esau and Jacob. God gave Jacob 12 sons. And from there, the family grew. It was their tribe, their family, their people, their covenant. This is a promise for us. We're God's people. The Messiah is for us. But here in Jeremiah 16, which is what we're going to look at here in a few moments, Jeremiah prophesies something just a little bit different. And I want to read you a couple of verses this morning. Jeremiah 16, if you have your Bibles, verses 19 through 21, Jeremiah says this, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth... And say, 
Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things, in which there is no profit. Can a man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know, this once I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Now, this is maybe kind of an obscure, obscure passage, not one that we look at very often, maybe one that you've, you've never heard before or never read before, but it's an interesting one. We have three speakers. We have, we have the people, the nations who speak. We have Jeremiah, and then we have God responding. Jeremiah begins in verse 19 by address, addressing God as Yahweh. That was the Hebrew name for God. We looked at it back in the book of Exodus as God has revealed himself to the people of Israel in this whole story. He is constantly revealing his character. That's one of the things that we're noticing. And we found out that God, Yahweh, means the self-existent one, the one who has always been, the one who needs nothing. That's hard for us to understand, isn't it? Because we all have needs. Every one of you has needs. Some of you are very needy. Some of you may be more needy than others. I bet a few of us realized how much we need last Saturday night when the power went out (laughs) for most of you. I'm sorry, I, I didn't lose my power. But I do know I'm needy. I don't need to lose my power to understand it. But we realize instantly our lives are changed. We depend on so much to survive. I mean, we can't even survive an hour together in here without the heaters going in the furnace because we need heat. So it's hard for us to understand, but Jeremiah reminds us that God is a self-existent one. He, he needs no one. He needs nothing. He never has. Jeremiah describes him as my strength my stronghold or a place of safety, my refuge, that is, a place to escape to in times of trouble. Jeremiah could say that. He knew all about Yahweh, and he knew all about Yahweh by experience. He had seen God's strength. He knew that God was a place of safety. He knew he was a refuge when things were difficult. Do you know how I know that? Because if you read the book of Jeremiah, you would find out that Jeremiah had a very difficult life. When he was very, very young, God came to him and said, Jeremiah, you are going to be my prophet. Jeremiah said, are you sure that's a good idea? (laughs) I'm young. I'm not too bright. I don't speak very well. I don't think I can do this. And God said, Jeremiah, you're the guy. You're my prophet, and you're going to tell the people just how sinful they are and just how wicked and just how difficult their lives are going to be because of the judgment that I'm going to bring because of their sin. God told Jeremiah all that when he was very young, that that was what he was going to do and how he was going to spend his life. And guess what? Jeremiah had a very, very difficult life as a result. In fact, next week, Pastor Tim is going to talk to us from the book of Lamentations. That was also written by Jeremiah. You know what Lamentations, you know what it means to lament, right? To mourn, to weep, to sob. 
That was Jeremiah's life. He was called the weeping prophet. He told Israel what was wrong and what was going to happen to them. And you know what they did, Jeremiah 36? They threw him in a pit. We don't want to listen to you. Jeremiah 36 says, not only did they throw him in the pit, but the bottom of the pit was mud, and he sank down into the bottom of the pit. Jeremiah knew who Yahweh was, and he knew that he was a refuge. He knew that he could be his strength. Jeremiah says, Yahweh, the nations will come to you. Why will they come to you? Well, in verse 19, it says the nations are going to realize something. They're going to realize that everything that they've ever done is worthless. They're going to realize that their inheritance, the result of all of their effort, the result of all of their energies, is going to be nothing but, Jeremiah says, lies. Literally, deception and disappointment. It's all worthless. There's no profit. There's no value. There comes a day in every person's life where they look at what they've done and what they've accomplished and they say, has it been worth it? Now, some of you that are on the backside of the downhill slope of life, like me, have probably already thought about that a few times. The rest of you that are so young, you still remember what high school was like, or you're in it, probably haven't gotten that far yet. But every person has a day when they say, Is it, has it been worth it? Everything that I've done, all my energy, the way I've lived my whole life, what do I have to show for what I've done? And Jeremiah says there will come a day when the nations will say that. What do we have to show for everything that we've done? Now, in verse 20, Jeremiah makes this statement, or he asks a rhetorical question, then answers it. Can man make for himself gods? This is verse 20. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. I want to suggest to you this morning that this is the pursuit of mankind. Making gods is the pursuit of every person who walks the face of this earth to accomplish something worth worshiping. To accomplish something worth looking at and saying, there, I've done something, this was worth it. Mankind makes gods. You may be sitting here and you may think, no, you're, you're wrong, Mike. That, that can't be true because most of the world doesn't want anything to do with God. Most of the world doesn't want anything to do with the God of the Bible. Most of the world wants a God that agrees with them. A God that makes them feel good about themselves. A God that will validate or justify the way that they live their lives. A God who reassures them. This is happening all around us. 
Our world has made, just for one example, our world has made the environment a God. Climate change is its religion. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just telling you what we see around us. The reason I know that and the reason I believe that is because a religion is a system of belief which informs the way that people live their lives. And that's what this is. It becomes the most important thing. It's more important than anything else. How we care for our environment is more important than people making a living. It's more important than people being born and living life on this earth. We've got too many people. We need to figure out a way to have less people because it's harmful to the environment. It becomes the most important thing, and it affects the way that people live their lives and the decisions that they make. That's just one example. There are many others. But when the things that we believe inform the way that we choose to live our lives, that's a religion. That thing has become a God. Jeremiah says, can man make gods? Those are not gods. Well, they're certainly not the real God. They're certainly not the true God, the God who created the universe and judges it. You see, the whole testimony of Scripture reminds us that mankind can and will do whatever it pleases, but it's not going to change what God does. It's not going to change God's ultimate design for this world and what he does at the end of time. And so in verse 21 of Jeremiah 16, we have God's response to those who come to the place in their lives where they realize that they have lived their lives in pursuit of worthless things. And as a response to Jeremiah, who declares that no one can fabricate their own God, this is what God, this is what the true God says. Notice verse 21. Let me read it for you again. Therefore, behold, God says, I will make them know. This once I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Now, if you notice in that, just that short verse, God says, I will make them know twice. And then he says, they shall know. Now, anyone who has ever been a parent or has a parent Tell me what it means when they say things two or three times right in a row. <laughs> it means you better pay attention, right? They mean it. What does God say? I will make them know. They will know. They will know that Yahweh is the true God. They will know that I have all power, that I am the mighty one. Now, as I see it, there's two ways that you can take that. <laughs> the first way is this. You can take that to mean that one day many people will be forced to acknowledge 
that Yahweh is the true God. One day, many people will be forced to acknowledge that Jesus is the king of this world. And that reminds me of these verses in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, listen to this, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God says there's going to come a day when every knee Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is king. What does that mean? Well, it means there's going to be some willing knees and there's going to be some unwilling knees. Some of us, I will, I trust that many or all of you will, I will willingly bow my knee before Jesus. He is the king. When I see him, I will be on my knees to acknowledge him as king. But there's going to be some people who will not, and they will be forced to because God says what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So many will be wonderfully, graciously saved, but there are many who will not be. That's one way to take this verse. The second way to take this verse is this, that many people from other nations besides Israel will come to saving faith by the grace of Jesus Christ. This was not known to Israel. This was not obvious to them. They thought the promise was only for them. But we know that God has promised to save people, many people, Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the ages to come, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What's the one story? What have we been talking about for seven or eight months? We have been talking about the fact that God has chosen to glorify himself and display his grace by redeeming people. That's what he's promised to do, to show his matchless grace. And that's good news for all of us. I'm so thankful. I don't know if you are or not, but I'm so thankful that the Messiah is not just for Israel, that salvation is not just for that family, but it's for us too, anyone who would come. Let's go further into the future and see what's going to happen at that greatest gathering of all in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. I don't usually read long passages of Scripture, but I want to read this to you this morning, and I want you to just try to picture it if you can, because this is God's promise of what is going to happen in the future. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, in the right hand of him seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth 
or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly. This is the Apostle John who was writing this. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Listen to the song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God. Listen to what he says. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The promised Messiah is the Savior of all who believe. This promise is for you. This promise is for your neighbor. This promise is for your coworker. This promise is for the person that you go to school with, the person that you hang out with, the people in your family. Every tribe and every language and every people and every nation will be represented in the greatest gathering of God's people ever. Let me read to you what happens next in verse 11. Then I looked, this is John again, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory, or uh, rather to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Imagine, if you will, with me at the end of time when, when God has returned everything to as it should be and established his kingdom, this gathering of God's people from every language and every tribe and every country around the world. And we're all standing there before King Jesus. And we are worshiping, worthy is the Lamb. Now, I want to ask you a question as we close here this morning. Who do you want to be there 
as part of that gathering. Who do you want to be in the group of people who are willingly bowing their knee before God and not being forced to acknowledge Him, but to readily acknowledge, lovingly worship Him? Who do you want to be a part of that group? Think about those people or that person. Do they know about the grace of Jesus? Do they know that he is the lion who rules and the lamb who was slain? Do they know about that? Have you told them that Jesus Christ will reign forevermore? Because, folks, that's our responsibility That's the commission that Christ gave to the disciples when he left. Last week, remember, we talked about the fact that the Messiah has come once and he's going to come again. When he left the first time, he said, now you tell everyone what's going to happen. Are you doing that? Because it doesn't just happen. It's our responsibility to tell people of the lamb who was slain and the lion who rules and will reign forevermore. That's on us. That's what God has called us to do. As we close this morning, I'm going to ask that you stand with us. The band is going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing much like we will on that day as we stand in Christ's presence that he will reign forevermore. Folks, I know that most of you are a part of the family already, that you have trusted Jesus Christ, that you have experienced his grace and you continue to each day. And I'm so thankful for that. But right outside is a community of people who don't know the grace of Jesus Christ. Many of them don't realize it, but it is their greatest need. They're trying to make their own God. They're making gods every day. And there'll come a day when they realize that none of it has been worthwhile. I want that day to be on this side of Christ's return, not the other. I want them to be a part of that great gathering. And I hope that's the burden of your heart too. Will you join with me as we pray, as we prepare ourselves to go out and to be a testimony of God's grace in everything that we do, but also what we say. We don't want to just show Christ's love, but we want to tell people about the Messiah. And I trust that you will do that with us, that together we will impact this community for the grace of Christ by his strength and by his spirit. Father, thank you so much that we could gather today. And as we go from here, I pray that we will not quickly forget what we have heard. We have seen that it has always been your plan to gather people to worship King Jesus. We are so thankful for his life and death and resurrection, for the grace that has been shown into our hearts that has changed our lives. Give us the courage and the opportunities to share that grace with others this week during this Christmas season as we give thanks we want people to know that the promised Messiah is the Savior of all who believe 
Father, would you go with us now? You know the heart of each one that's here, each one who is listening. Just be their strength, be their wisdom, and guide them as they walk with you throughout the coming days. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for being here, folks. I hope you have a great week.